This last talk is going to be on redemptive suffering and how that is healing. We might think it's an either-or proposition. Either we ask for healing or we uh, resign ourselves to redemptive suffering. But it's actually a both-and, you know, like so many other things in our, our Catholic faith, um, where um, they're not opposed to each other. Redemptive suffering and um, begging for healing is not... And so they're not somehow, as I said, opposed to each other. Before we get into that, though, I just wanted to just kind of go through a little bit, um, a few things here, uh, kind of housekeeping, but also just, um, in my mind, tying up some loose ends, in, in my mind anyway. Maybe they're not loose ends in your mind, but they are in mine. So, um, so yesterday, we, in that second talk, we went through the importance of deliverance, you know, and just, you know, went through... A little bit of that uh, unbound book and uh, the five keys, but also just the the goodness and the importance of renouncing lies. When we when we notice that we're when we're acting under or we're acting as a result of um, or out of a particular lie or a judgment or a um, uh, an unclean spirit of some sort, you know the goodness of just in the name of Jesus renouncing that lie, spirit, or judgment. You know. Um, and I want to take us back just briefly to, okay, the first talk was on, um, identity and I talked about the, the anatomy of a wound, right? And so the wound, um, one of those seven deadly wounds. And then as we talked about the enemy being opportunistic, and it's at that point that he heaps these lies and, and, um, false beliefs and, and judgments on us. And, and so that's why the renunciation of things, that's why deliverance is important because it breaks up that junk, if you will. And, um, uh, and, and then by God's process, by his continued grace, by his help and the intercession of the saints, um, we are on that path. We're taking another step forward in, in the process of healing of our hearts. And so, you know, that's why that deliverance is so important and because we're, we're taking authority. And, you know, as Neil Lozano says, we're closing windows, we're closing doors. We're also opening a door to freedom by those five keys. And so, but just to put that in a context of how that relates to the wounds that are experienced, that we've experienced, you know, because that's, you know, that's why it's important um, to renounce those lies that, that the enemy fed us at the time of a particular wound to our hearts. Another thing that, um, just a brief experience that I, or just an experience that I had as well, I want to share with you that, um, at one of the retreats I went to at the John Paul II Healing Center in Tallahassee, Florida, and I, I highly recommend, as maybe I mentioned earlier, just looking at where those events are taking place. You can get online and, and find out what other events are taking place. We just had a conference. They came up and did a conference for women at the end of September called Undone, Freedom for the Feminine Heart. And uh, we also had a conference for men called Men on Fire. Um, but to get online and just, you know, look at where those events are taking place. Um, I was at, I've been on two retreats for priests down in Tallahassee. And the first one was uh, equipping for pastoral ministry and which really was uh, devoted to helping us priests help others in um, inner healing prayer, you know, to make that part of our priestly ministry. And then the second retreat was called Holy Desire, um, uh, in, in which there's a more directed um, goal, I guess you could say, of, of you know, having, uh, you know, just having our desires made whole and holy and, and allowing God to do that, ha having God help us in that. Uh, but it was during that particular retreat um, that one of the team members, her name is uh, Kim Glass, um, just a, a good friend of mine now. She's become a good friend of mine as well as the rest of the team uh, there in Tallahassee. But um, 
At the end of that, she said, she looked at us priests and she said, fathers, your wounds are beautiful. They really are. Your wounds are beautiful. And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, how could that possibly be? And, um, and so really it was about a year, um, about a, yeah, yeah, about a year, I don't know, less than a year, maybe where it just, that quite, that statement just kept, I kept pondering that, like, how is that? How could that be? You know, that wounds are beautiful. And, um, and the answer to the riddle came at another conference that I went to uh, for integrity restored. And this was for priests um, who uh, wanted to be all the more engaged or all the more helpful, I guess you could say, in helping, helping people um, struggling with addictions to pornography. And, um, but one of the presenters, Dr. Todd Bowman, um, provided the answer to the riddle, you know, and uh, he basically said, you know, those are the places, it's beautiful because those are the places where Jesus wants to be. That's where Jesus wants to be, you know, and, and so for us to, because so, with so many, so many times we can think of, you know, so often we can think of our wounds as, you know, we want to hide them and we want to, we want to, uh, or there's shame associated with them. And, uh, or, yeah, they're just painful to look at. But I think it's good to hear that, you know, that Jesus just wants to be in that place. And therefore, that's what makes them beautiful. That's what makes them beautiful. And also the fact that he is going to those places where we've been wounded. He, or on the day of the resurrection, All Saints Day, those are the places in the, in the wounds is he wants to glorify those just like his own wounds are glorified. And, and so uh, how, and, and it's just really mysterious how he does that. It's it. Um, but once we come into wholeness, once we come into healing of those wounds, then we get a sense of what that's like or how he then turns those wounds into somehow putting us on mission, putting us or, or just, um, being a blessing all the more to others, maybe uh, with respect that, that we can relate to or that they can relate to us because of those specific wounds, the Lord putting other people in our lives that maybe have struggled with the same thing and, and therefore um, creating community there and, and support. Uh, so those are just some simple ways, but uh, I wanted to share that. Another thing is just um, some other resources to consider. Um, one of the books I'm going to refer to this morning is called um, Healing, Bringing the Gift of God's Mercy to the World. Healing, Bringing the Gift of God's Mercy to the World. This is by Dr. Mary Healy. Uh, just an excellent book. We're going to go into that. But more from, I guess you could say, those who are involved at the uh, John Paul II Healing Center. Okay. I mentioned the retreat for women undone. Well, there's a book called Undone, uh, Freeing Your Feminine Heart from the Knots of Fear and Shame. Freeing Your Feminine Heart from the Knots of Fear and Shame. And that's by Carrie Schutz, Daunt, Carrie Daunt, uh, the daughter of Dr. Bob Schutz. So, um, and I, I'll put these books on an altar over here. Or I'll put them maybe on that table out in the narthex, and you can just take pictures of them if you, if you want to uh, before you leave. Another book uh, by Sister Miriam James. I don't know if you may have heard talks by Sister Miriam James Hydland. Uh, this little book here is a gem as well. Loved as I am, an invitation to conversion, healing, and freedom through Jesus. Loved as I am. Another one is this book by Ken Kniepman, also from the John Paul II Healing Center called Lenten Healing, 40 Days to Set You Free from Sin. And this is also a gem in that it, uh, it's designed for Lent, I guess, essentially, but you can go through it any time. Um, but he gives just very short little snippets, little chapters um, on, on wounds. And, and it's the whole idea of, of fasting from wounds and sins. Okay. And uh, it's really clever uh, 
I think very much anointed how he went about doing that and just giving a little, little words of wisdom and providing an opportunity to pray, pray with those things. Um, the other book I did not bring and I haven't read. Well, there's two actually. One is called, uh, also, two more by Dr. Bob Schutz called Real Suffering. Real Suffering. Um, again, it's on, the, on what we're going to talk about today is the redemptive suffering. And then another book, uh, more recently, he came out with called Be Devoted. And it's regarding marriage. So Be Devoted, Restoring Friendship, Passion, and Communion in Your Marriage. I haven't read that book yet, but um, I don't doubt that it's, uh, that it's very good coming from Dr. Bob Schutz. So be devoted, restoring friendship, passion, and communion in your marriage. And this is his own description. He says, I have a burning desire to pass on the graces I have received. I have a longing to see every marriage formed in God's unfailing truth and healed by his merciful love. I believe this is possible for every couple and for every person who has struggled in any kind of a relationship. I have witnessed firsthand in my own marriage and in the lives of many others how Jesus' healing love and his eternal truths can transform our lives and relationships. No matter where you are in your life circumstances, I believe this practical guide will be a source of help and encouragement to you personally. And then the last um, thing I wanted to mention, you know, this uh, retreat, uh, you know, it's pretty short, frankly, you know, from Friday night to uh, basically about 1 p.m. today. And um, so, but I, I pray that it's just been a, a much, I pray that it's been the respite that you wanted, you know, that it, and we're not done with it yet for sure. But pray that it's been the respite that you wanted, that you're rejuvenated, that, that um, the Lord's bringing healing according to your heart's desires. And uh, um, also just to consider, you know, in the future, you know, other retreats here. Um, Father Coulter is doing an amazing job bringing people from around the country and from within our own diocese. To lead to to lead retreats, and um, and and so yeah, just checking periodically, looking at the looking at the um, you know, the lineup or the uh, the schedule uh, of retreats being held here. Uh, you know, if the Lord puts it on your heart to to come back, just know that you're most welcome. And um, I guess there's one particular retreat I've mentioned: an Ignatian retreat, eight day Ignatian retreat. That's one that I. Um, I'm just grateful to have experienced three times now, but, uh, there's also a four day Ignatian. If you can get on an Ignatian retreat, a four day Ignatian retreat, if you've never done that before, I highly recommend that whether it's a four day or an eight day, uh, there's also a 30 day, if you can pull that one off. All right. So, um, I haven't been able to yet, but, um, and then also, I guess just, related to the, the retreat house, you know, whatever you can do to continue to support, um, you know, the uh, apostolate here, the mission here at, at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. Um, and I'd just like to read here uh, a statement, just inviting us uh, to support uh, the retreat house. Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House desires to keep our retreats affordable and never turns anyone away for an inability to pay. Therefore, a collection will be taken up during Sunday Mass to support our ministry and building projects. Please include your prayer intentions. Thank you for your donations to Manifest Love Made Visible at Good Council Retreat, Our Lady of Good Council Retreat House. Okay. And so there's a basket at the entrance, I think in the entrance, or just as you enter into the, if you want to put your one, I see prayer intentions right here. So that's um, where we're offering intentions, prayers for those intentions as well. So if you have prayer intentions that you um, want to be included in the masses here, you can list those. But uh, that collection will be um, at the uh, entrance. There's a, ba a basket about like that 
white basket. And so you can put your contributions there. And we thank you ahead of time for that, whatever you can do uh, in, in making donations. And so um, it's totally fitting. It's Sunday. So collection should be taken up on Sunday, right? So anyway, let's go ahead and uh, dive into, you know, redemptive suffering. You know, as, uh, you know, you know, as I started out saying, you know, we, we can tend to think that redemptive suffering, um, offering up the suffering that we have is somehow opposed to begging for healing. And that's just not the case. Um, again, in this uh, book by Dr. Mary Healy, again, I highly recommend it. It's very good. Um, she exposes that false notion that we either ask for healing or we accept redemptive suffering. And, um, and she certainly is in line with the church and believing the goodness, the power of redemptive suffering. It's an invitation to share in Christ's passion. Redemptive suffering is, is where we um, uh, acknowledge the suffering we're going through and um, while at the same time begging the Lord to bring healing, uh, but acknowledging the suffering we're going through, whatever the cross is, if it's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual, and, um, and offering it up, so to speak. You know, I'm sure many of you have heard that in your lives growing up as Catholics, but uh, offering it up. And so it can be an invitation, is an invitation to share in Christ's passion, and it also becomes a means of grace for others. It's very powerful to um, offer one's suffering for the good of others. And uh, she quotes this document by uh, St. John Paul II uh, on the Christian meaning of human suffering, on the Christian meaning of human suffering, Salvifici Dolores, and it's number, paragraph number 27, in which he said this, those who share in the sufferings of Christ preserve in their own sufferings a very special particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption and can share this treasure with others. And she also, Dr. Healy points out that in the Bible, uh, basically describes two kinds of suffering. One is suffering as a result of persecution for the name of Christ. And we'll hear that in the um, Beatitudes uh, for the gospel this morning. But um, suffering for, again, for the, um, for the sake of the name of Jesus. And then a, a kind of suffering, which is like a, an illness or human defect of, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And she says that when Jesus is telling uh, his disciples to expect suffering, when he's telling his disciples to expect suffering, it's usually with respect to that first kind of suffering, persecution because of his name, and not so much because of illness or disease or something of this sort. Uh, it certainly is the case that illness or disease, and we know this, is you know offering that is power as a powerful prayer. That is. Um, something we can be called to, that the Lord does call us to from time to time, you know, to offer that suffering uh, redemptively out of love for others. Um, but she's just noted, noting that, you know, when you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't usually say, he doesn't say when people come to him for healing, he doesn't say, um, uh, no, you just have to carry your cross. Okay, we don't find that in the gospel. And so it's an important point, I think. You know, obviously, um, uh, you know, so our approach, though, to uh, our response to sickness doesn't, doesn't mean, you know, so our response to sickness isn't necessarily the same response as we would have for redemptive suffering in the midst of persecution. Okay. You know, and she points out, makes the point very well that, uh, um, 
that we shouldn't waste suffering. She says, how much wasted suffering there is in the world today? How many people are lying in hospitals or nursing homes simply enduring the pain and loneliness or even letting bitterness fester? If only they knew how much potential their suffering has for empowering the church's mission to bring the light of Christ into the world. Often it is because no one has told them, no one has called upon their intercessory muscle. No one has called upon their intercessory muscle. I thought that was a clever way of putting it. Um, she also points out that Christianity has never, we have never viewed suffering as a good in itself. Um, because it's not a part of God's original plan for us. You know, it came into the world because of sin. It wasn't God's idea. Suffering is not God's idea. Pain and suffering is not his idea. Death is not his idea. Um, or it's not what he desired for us or desires. Uh, and she talks about how the, um, how we, um, on the physical level, will immediately go to, or we often think, okay, I have to go to a doctor, a physician, if, you know, I've got some physical ailment. Um, but yet, uh, but yet maybe there's also times where, in, in, in cases where we may just immediately go to the place of, okay, well, the Lord must just want me to suffer, and so I just need to offer it up instead of actually begging him for healing, actually asking him for that. And so she says, our first response to sickness then should be to do battle against it through faith and prayer. Jesus' response to illness and infirmity in the Gospels is a challenge to our attitudes of passivity. In the sick who besieged him, he saw children of God who were bound up and blocked from the fullness of life God had for them. And, and so... We, this is what we need to be about as Christians. We need to be willing to go out and pray. This is part of, I think, the work of evangelization and becoming more and more uh, convinced of this. You know, how willing am I or are you to um, just, I don't know, grocery store, uh, anywhere, seeing somebody and just, you know, where the Lord stirs compassion in our hearts for that person, offering to say a prayer for them right there in the moment. You know, and just giving God the, the opportunity to um, bring about a healing if he so, so, de so desires. Now, it's interesting how Dr. Mary Healy says, this is her own, I guess, her own approach, her own personal opinion, uh, but it resonates with me, the fact that you know, we can often as Catholics say, okay, Lord, please bring about healing for this person. Please, please bring healing to this person's leg or their arm or what have you, if it be your will, if it be your will. And, you know, yeah, that's good. It's good for us to, um, to uh, say, yeah, if it's the will of God. But, you know, frankly, yeah, we could say that about every prayer, about everything we pray. And it's just presumed in our minds. Yeah, if it's God's will. But sometimes what does that do when we say, if it be your will, is that kind of a, an out for my faith? You know, like, hmm, if it doesn't really, if it doesn't happen, therefore I'm protected, that I don't, you know, I don't feel like I've been abandoned by God, or this person doesn't feel like they're abandoned by God. Um, uh, when in fact, you know, I think, well, I mean, I just think it's the case that God is probably saying many times, so do you believe that I can do this? Do you really believe I can do this? Or is it, are you, you know, I mean, and so faith, expectant faith in what he can do is what he wants to see in us always and everywhere. It's up to him. It's up to him, whether it's, yeah, again, according to his will, whether he wants to bring about this or that healing for somebody. But, you know, we our, our job, frankly, is just to, is not to presume that somebody is called to redemptive suffering. Oh, somebody's hurt, so it must be, or somebody's dealing with the physical ailment, whatever, just to go down the default road of, um, well, they just must be, 
called the redemptive suffering. You know, I can imagine the Lord saying many times, uh, you know, is that, is this all you want me to do? Is that all you're asking for? You know, it's just, um, so praying with expectant faith, this is, and, and if we, if we're not in that place, it's okay. I, I'm not, I'm striving to, to be there myself. Um, but expectant faith, do I really believe that God can pull this off? And, and so, yeah, just, it's not up to us to decide who's called to redemptive suffering. Somebody had, had told me that Patrick Rice from Encounter Ministries. I don't know if you've, if you're aware of the, the ministry, that, that group up in, uh, uh, they're doing amazing things, I believe, um, called Encounter Ministries. You can look them up, encounterministries.us. They're featured on a, on a documentary called fearlessdocumentary.net. Okay, you can go to fearlessdocumentary.net. But anyway, Patrick said this one time when he, they came down for a school of healing at St. Peter's in Lincoln back in 2018. You know, I was asking him about that. Well, how do you know, you know, what if the Lord wants somebody to experience what, what if he's calling them to redemptive suffering? And he was very, very bold and very direct. And he said, it's not our job to decide that. It's not our job to decide that. So our job is to pray with expectant faith for this person, begging for the compassion of God, begging that we would have the compassion and the heart of the father for this person and that we would pray from that place uh, with expectant faith, believing that our God, the God, our father is good. So good and beyond what we can imagine. Dr. Bob in his book, Be Healed, this is on page 27, going back to just what redemptive suffering is. Um, he says that Jesus's redemptive suffering brought our healing, you know? So he's, po- he's showing how, he's just pointing out how powerful that is. So it's Jesus's redemptive suffering. He's the one who's paved the way for us in this whole matter. And he's shown us what it is. You know, but his redemptive suffering brought our healing, and therefore our redemptive suffering is healing also for us and for others. When we, yeah, so we may pray, like I said, we pray that the Lord take this or that ailment away, and we pray with expectant faith, and we ask the Lord, we beg him to do this for us or for someone else. Um, but it could be the case it may be the case that he puts actually in our heart a desire for redemptive suffering. Um, and, and, and so it's very important to, to be aware of what's going on here, always. It's, all, it's very important to be aware of what's going on in the heart. Does this person I'm praying with, do I myself desire to be healed bodily? Okay. If that's the desire, then that's where we pray from. Okay, if it's, um, but it could very well be the case. And that's how the Lord does it, if you will, where we start from praying for this person because this is what they desire. They desire healing of their, their body. And then, um, but then the Lord may change the prayer. He himself may change the prayer where it's okay. Um, there's a peace maybe with redemptive suffering or you know, but, you know, it's very important to be true to what's going on here, to be sincere and true with what's going on here um, in the heart. Um, if I don't want, you know, and maybe it's both. It could be both, too. Um, Lord, I want to be healed, but I'll, I can also see the goodness of redemptive suffering. Um, you know, it could be both. Uh, but, you know, to be true to what's going on in the heart. And St. Paul says, I make up for what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. You know, this is one of the verses we, we, um, we go to to remind ourselves of just how, um, you know, how important redemptive suffering is. I make up for what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. And, you know, immediately we're saying, okay, what was lacking in that? You know, what was lacking in, in Christ's suffering? 
Well, obviously it was our participation. You know, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so we are, yeah, we're going to experience suffering and, 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 and it's a grace and it's a good thing. It's a, you know, we have to look at it from the, from the standpoint of love, just as Jesus did, you know, from the standpoint of I'm offering this out of love. It's a, it's a, it's a gift. It's, it's from the Lord. You know, and so, uh, and then also St. Paul, let's see here. Uh, I think it's St. Peter who says, by his wounds, we are healed. Um, and I'm sorry, I don't have the scripture reference for that or citation. But, you know, so this, the, so healing, you know, how is redemptive suffering and healing? How is, how is redemptive suffering healing? How is that possible? If I'm offering my suffering to God, how is that somehow healing? You know, I've already mentioned, okay, well, it's, it's could be very much healing for others, you know, that we're praying for, that we're offering it for. But it's also healing in terms of being con truly conformed to the heart and will of God, the Father, like his son, Jesus. Being true, So healing in the sense of being truly conformed to the heart and will of the Father, like Jesus himself was. So that may mean um, the form of, that may, that may mean healing in the way that we often think of it as peace in our mind, our heart, our soul, or healing in our body. Or it may mean suffering to win graces for others and ourselves which often mysteriously and interestingly, which mysteriously also brings peace in mind, heart, soul, and or body. Father Sean Kilcali, um, the director of our family life office, you know, has talked about how we can measure our suffering. We can actually measure our suffering. And I just thought this was so enlightening when he described this. We can actually measure the depth of our suffering. You know, because so if we look at it from the standpoint of, okay, what I am expecting for my life in the next five minutes to the next five days, five months, five years, 50 years, whatever, what I'm expecting for my life, what I'm thinking of, what I'm dreaming of my life being, what the goals are in my life, what I've envisioned for my life going forward. Um, and it could be something as trivial as, okay, my vision for me right now is to walk from here to that door. What I don't envision is tripping, I don't know, running into the pew and falling over or something, you know? And so I envision going to the door, but then I, I you know, trip over something and fall down. Um, and so what's the measure? The measure is, okay, my vision was this headed to the door of the chapel. I know this is kind of silly. Please just bear with me, okay? But then tripping, you know, well, that's a little bit lower, right? And so what's the measurement? It's from this place to this place, right? And being an engineer, I guess, that's it's helpful for me anyway to kind of think of these things quantitatively as much as we can. But uh, so that's, I think that's helpful, you know, because you know, what we have in mind going forward in our lives and we envision for our lives is something up here maybe, and then some bump in the road or just major detour that we didn't bring on ourselves, or maybe we did bring on ourselves, whichever. And we're down here now. And so what's the answer to that? The answer is, okay, Jesus, I'm down here. I wanted this Jesus. And Jesus, could you please just be with me down here right now? Could you just please come and be with me in this place right here? Um, and, and tell him, you know, tell him what you envisioned. You know, Lord, this is what I wanted, but now I'm here. Can you please just come and be with me in this place right now? So in, uh, it, it's a message that as priests, 
we're we're having to, or you know, I, I I'm just going to say that I read that document by John Paul II in the seminary. I think many all of us priests did, but it really impacted me. I mean, I just it just really resonated with me. You know, the salvific, you know, a Christian meaning of human suffering. Jesus obviously is the one who gives meaning to suffering. Otherwise, without him, yeah, I don't know what meaning you give it, right? Um, and, and that's why so much of our, our, our world struggles, right? Because every answer to every question that everyone has in this world is Jesus Christ. And if we don't see that, then our lives are going to be upside down. We're, we're just going to see meaninglessness in so much of our lives. But I remember in the seminary just really being struck by that particular document. And, uh, um, um, and, and so by God's grace, I would say I've been pretty bold, frankly, in, in visiting with people in retirement homes and in hospitals, in their homes, suffering, and just inviting them to see their suffering um, as... Uh, and, and also praying, you know, if their heart desires it, obviously praying for healing, uh, giving them the anointing of the sick, praying for healing and the Eucharist and confession. Um, but also um, just pointing out to them how powerful their prayer is, how powerful their, condi their condition, their circumstances are. No one else in the entire world has the exact same circumstances as they do. And so their prayer is unique and it's powerful as they offer, um, offer that for the good of others or for the good of the church or for their own parish. Uh, and, and, and so um, it's something that I've been, by God's grace, been really driven to help people to see and to understand, you know, just the goodness of their redemptive suffering. And, and even asking them, could you please just offer the next, um, you know, could you please offer some of your suffering for me, for our parish or what have you? But, um, but I've also seen it. I've witnessed it, as I'm sure you have as well. I mean, I, I've witnessed people going through amazing, just amazing suffering and, and doing it with the grace of God and offering it beautifully for others. And, uh, and so that's uh, what's given me all the more encouragement, I should say, to, to, to uh, spread that message. But, you know, I just want to, I want to dial it back just a little bit. Okay. In the sense that um, our redemptive suffering, and we have to point this out as well, you know, that redemptive suffering shouldn't be rooted in pride. I mean, if, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I pray that this does not come across as judgment on anyone, but, um, but it, just say that it could be the case too. You know, there is the possibility of people just so identifying with their, with their illness or their physical that they can't envision themselves any other way. And they just assume that God wants them to suffer, that he just wants them to suffer. And it could be out of maybe even a fall. And I, I'm, on, I'm in this all the time. So uh, it could be an, out of a false humility even. Uh, no, I just, I just, I'm just wanting to suffer. I need to suffer for others. Um, not to immediately go to that place. You know, not to immediately assume that. Okay. Um, let's go. For, let's, let's start with my God, my, my Father, our Heavenly Father is so good and he does not want us to suffer. He's not looking to inflict pain upon us. That's not who our God is. And, and so I have to start from that belief. And that's why I press in and ask for the healing. Um, because it can be the case, I'm just going to say, it can be the case that God, the Father's probably saying in some circumstances, no, if you just ask me, I'll, I'll grant you this healing. You just ask me if you if you desire if you see the goodness in my heart, and and you yourself desire healing. If really in your heart of hearts you desire healing, please ask me. You know, because I can imagine him sometimes saying, "Gosh, is that really all you think I can do?" And 
So I, I think that's, it's an important point to make. You know, I mentioned, um, I mentioned my, my dad's, a little bit of my dad's story. Um, had, so today I want to, and this, is, this would have been his birthday, okay? He actually passed away on October 24th, uh, 2001, and um, of Lou Gehrig's disease and uh, or complications from that. But uh, he was um, ahead of that. You know, by his own admission, he wasn't really a patient. I mean, there's, he was patient at times. That's just, there's many times though that he wouldn't be patient with things. You know, what was, what was being the dealt, the hand that was being dealt him. And, um, but I mean, there's still good, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to identify him as just an impatient man. That wasn't the case. But with respect to the, this, it was just very clear the Lord was giving him a very patient heart and faithful, just, just incredible faith. Um, but ahead of that diagnosis, um, this would have been in 99, where uh, he had um, um, yeah, he had he basically how it came on or that he first noticed it was um, weakness in his left arm. And I was in Rome at the time studying and uh, uh, he, I wasn't studying all the time. Don't get me wrong. I didn't study all the time, but um, you know, he uh, was feeling uh, yeah, weakness in his left arm. He just kind of felt, he, he just thought that maybe it was due to the fact that he had been um, uh, finishing my parents' basement you know, and, and hauling the, or moving the drywall around. And, and he thought maybe just strained his left arm. And, uh, and I remember talking to him on the phone and he had just gotten this pickup truck, a uh, new truck that he was just proud of. And, and um, so this is in 99 and we still actually have that pickup truck. My nephew's driving it around. It's amazing. But uh, anyway, he, um, he said, yeah, I, just, I got my new truck, but I just, if I could just figure out what's wrong with my left arm. And, um, uh, and then within, I don't know, maybe six months or so, it was confirmed diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's disease. And, uh, but ahead of that, you know, so his birthday is today. And my sister at that time, she was looking for a birthday gift for him. And she was in a Catholic bookstore and she's looking around and going, huh, I wonder what book to get dad. And her eyes came upon this book here, Padre Peel, The True Story. Uh, Padre Pio, The True Story by uh, uh, Bernard Ruffin. And well, I'll get him that book. And so he read this book and it changed his life. I mean, he, in reading the, the, the sufferings that Padre Pio went through, St. Padre Pio, um, this um, uh, Capuchin friar that had the um, stigmata, and I believe died in 1967, um, had his life basically gave my dad a framework for how to offer his suffering. You know, and so, but we were praying to Padre Pio for a miracle. We were asking the Lord to heal my dad, you know, that, that the, that St. Padre Pio would intercede and, and obtain that miracle for us. And, uh, um, but in the, there were many little miracles or big miracles along the way that didn't have to do necessarily with uh, the physical healing. One thing, though, with, the, with respect to the physical, you may know this, but ALS can attack any part of the body. Um, and uh, with him, you know, I mentioned the left arm. I, I just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that the last thing to go for him was his voice. You know, within the last two weeks, it, it was probably the hardest, you know, that was the hardest um, point in, in just hearing, trying to understand what he was saying, you know, but I, we look at that as an incredible gift, you know, I mean, for him to be able to speak and just say what's on his mind, what he needed, what all that, and not everybody who has that horrible disease has that grace, has that 
blessing. But um, he did, and he uh, and he also just showed um, he he was extremely compassionate in that time. He was very um, much aware that you know he had a mission of encouraging others who came to visit him. And, um, and he, at one point, just wanted it to be very clear that he knew that he wasn't the source of the graces that he was getting. Um, I remember telling him at one point, after we found out I was in Rome and then talking to him on the phone after, you know, he's told me the diagnosis, whatever. And I said, Dad, you're going to win a lot of graces and you're going to get a lot of graces in this. And um, one of the graces was, you know, riding around with him in that truck with my brother. And at one point, my dad said, you know, I believe that if it's God's will that I get better, I'll get better. If it's his will that I don't, then I won't. And that was something that I had never heard come out of my, my dad's mouth. Um, but it, it, it spoke of a trust. It spoke of a trust in, in, the, um, in the Lord. And, uh, but he was very, I remember one time where I know, um, family members had visited and, and, uh, um, and, and I should say too, I mean, during this time we laughed so hard at different points. I mean, some of the things he would say, and, and obviously one of the things he would say would just be, uh, sometimes he would just say, look, let's, can we have a little faith here? You know, when it seemed like things are pretty dire or something, some little trial to go through, he'd be the one to say, can we have a little faith? Right. And, uh, but I remember one time, as I said, people had visited and, and they had left and, and he looked at me and he just had this, um, he had this look of just, um, just really concerned like he was really concerned. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what, what, what's the matter? And he goes, um, after they left, he said, I just hope they know that it's not me. And um, um, yeah, it's just, um, just really a grace just to see that. I mean, like he, he like almost like it was, like his salvation depended on people knowing that the way he was handling his illness was not his own doing, that it was God's grace, that it was God's presence. And, uh, and so I, I'm just very grateful for that experience. But And so one of the, um, and I'll just share during the, um, the summer between the two years that I was in Rome and the summer that, that, that between those two years, I came back for the summer and got to spend time with dad and, and um, he was still moving around a little bit um, gingerly, obviously not real steady on his, on his feet. Um, and in fact, one time went out to get the mail, came back, tripped on the front porch and just went, you know, face plant broken nose and he was just so he he didn't um he wasn't mad or anything he just he was so accepting of the whole deal but his hands were his arms weren't strong enough just to hold him up you know he put his hands out but they just couldn't um so i had that grace of just being with him and at the end of that summer um he and my mom and I, before I started the second year in, in Rome, we went to, I mean, it was amazing how God pulled us off. I mean, it is amazing. So we, we were there. We went to San Giovanni Rotondo. We went to the tomb of St. Padre Pio. But at that point, he was beatified. It was blessed Padre Pio. He was blessed Padre Pio. And we got to, we were there on the day that they celebrated, September 23rd. We were day, there on the day that they celebrated him being beatified, you know, his, his feast day, celebrated his feast day as Blessed Padre Pio. Um, and it's one of the few places in the whole world that it was able to be celebrated. And so he was able to, we were able to go to the tomb of Padre Pio 
two days later, and so that, that was a huge grace for us, as you can imagine. Two days later, we had the opportunity to meet St. John Paul II. And um, he, uh, so my dad, my mom and I um, were kind of in this um, parlor. I don't know, maybe there's 50 to 75 people in there and we're in a line and we're coming up to meet the Holy Father. There's a kneeler in front of him. He's sitting on a chair and um, we're taking turns going up. And so I went first, I knelt down and, and I said, Holy Father, uh, I'm from Lincoln. I'm a priest from Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, he said, you are from America. You know, I said, yes, Holy Father. And I said, these are my parents. And, um, and I, one of the things that just really, I remember thinking intent, intentionally was, okay, when I, when I kneel down, I'm going to look into his eyes. I'm going to look into his eyes. I'm not going to look anywhere else. I'm just going to look into his eyes. You know, and so I did. And what was surprising to me is he let me do that. You know, he let me do that. And, you know, now it's like, what are you doing? What do you, what do you think you are looking to his eyes, right? But uh, um, anyway, I said, okay, Holy Father, these are my parents. And they came over and I tried to stand up and the photographers were going, no, you stay there too. And so I'm thinking, okay, somehow we're gonna get three people on this kneeler. I don't know how, but so we did. And my dad's there, my mother in the middle, and then me on the, on the right side. And, and the Holy Father just looked at my dad and said, this is your son. And all my dad, dad could do, I mean, he could speak, if he, but he, he couldn't come up with words, I guess, is the deal. And he just, he just nodded. And the Holy Father put his hand out and just tapped him on the shoulder. And uh, it was just, you know, there again, just an incredible grace and just an awesome memory that um, uh, just very, very grateful for. And, uh, but it just, I, I think, you know, as you can see, the Lord just blessed us over and over and over again in the midst of that trial and to an amazing degree. I'm just going to end with St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. In chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, my eager expectation and hope is that I shall not be put to shame in any way, but that with all boldness, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me life is Christ and death is gain.